Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash WOI to nominate the women of influence in your life today. The report also found that 69% of shoppers have used money earned from reselling items to pay for bills or everyday living expenses. And 39% say that reselling has actually helped them make their ends meet. I also like that as someone who prides themselves on financial responsibility and financial education, because I think that's also like, you know, a bit of it. It's not like people are just buying things, selling things, and then using the proceeds to buy more things or more stuff to channel my inner George Carlin. It's like they're actually doing the right thing. And that's something that we've challenged a lot of people and I would challenge a lot of our listeners to do. Like we're all surrounded by some stuff like you, you've got couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand dollars worth of money just lying around that you're just kind of holding on to because, you know, maybe yeah, you'd rather see it. or maybe you feel like it's embarrassing to sell. It was like, it's actually not. There are a no. lot of people out here doing it. And like some people have taken it to the next level and now it's like a side hustle. And that's how they pay for whatever it is that they want to do in their life. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking about how to sell your stuff online. Right. You've probably heard of e-commerce, but today's episode is all about re-commerce, the booming secondhand market, and how it's a really simple way to earn some extra money with very little effort. Did you just make that up? What, re-commerce? Yeah. No, it's a real thing. Never heard that term before. See? about to learn something. Let me put you on game. All right, I'm going to just sit back and you can do the whole episode. (laughs) All right. Hey, before we get started, I want to give a huge shout out to Sports Family Therapist. That's actually at Sports Family Therapist on IG. Shout out to all our Haitian listeners out there. But this one in particular, at Sports Family Therapist, she's a really long-time listener. And so I told her I'd give her a shout out. So here I am, a man of my word. And so, I appreciate you listening and supporting the show and everything that she does. It was interesting because she said that she heard about us for the first time on the Anthony O'Neill show. I love that episode. And I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and I wish I could see her face because I, I till this day, I've never seen the I know. interview. My thing is, I was in the room. I had the conversation. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of watching or listening to things that I was on. Like, I don't listen to our podcast. Like like, <laughs> I, I had the conversation. I don't have to watch it. I know what I said. Every now and then, someone reminds me what I said. I'm like, oh, wait, what? And they got to show me the clip. But anyway... Shout out to Anthony. He's a huge friend of ours. And uh, shout out to all our listeners out there. But today, big shout out to at Sports Family Therapist on IG. So yes. let's do it. So today we're talking about selling things online. Have you ever sold something online? No. And I am, uh, I'm kind of feeling a little fraudulent because I've ne- <laughs> I've, I'm sitting here telling people how to do it. I know how to do it. <laughs> I've I sold a bunch of stuff. I know you have. I have <laughs> never sold anything online. And I think part of that is because I am or have embraced a certain extent of minimalism. I've never had enough stuff. And I certainly don't really make a habit of buying things that I don't want or like just want to get rid of. Not to be clear, I have given away quite a few things, but I've never gone to the extent of saying, you know what, somebody might want this and I could make 
$50 or $200 with that thing. But it also reminds me of when we first met, because Lord knows, I remember going to (laughs) your fancy midtown apartment and it was nice. You had a um, laundry room in your laundry room. Well, first of all, in your laundry room, you had a washer and dryer, which you never used, but it was really just a storage room for, I just remember there were like piles of shoes in that yeah. room. Like it was, a, it was, a, it was, it was a second a shoe closet. closet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was just it, a lot of shoes. And then you said, oh yeah, but I sell them. I was like, oh, okay. That's interesting. You sell your shoes, sorry. you buy them, you sell them. I, again, I've never met anyone that did it as, as to the extent that you did. Like you got a whole, oh, whole yeah. setup. Like it was a like a yeah. little mini side hustle. I've sold shoes, clothes, couches, kitchen tables, chairs, you name it. <laughs> well, I have I'm sold. about to say, why stop there? <laughs> Pets? Experiences? <laughs> and, I mean, what haven't you sold? <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Here's why we're talking about this. No matter what you do in life, selling is a core skill. And as yeah. a mentor once told me, nothing happens until you sell something. Now, at the time, we were in sales and nobody is more gassed about their role in a company than salespeople. <laughs> so it made sense why he would say that. But even if we zoom out of that role, we live in a consumer economy and your ability to move other people to exchange what they have for what you have is crucial to your survival. Yeah. So, and to some extent, you know, your happiness. So, you know, when you think about it, consumer spending makes up 70% of our economy and GDP. And while there is so much talk about American spending habits, there's not a lot of talk about our selling habits and they kind of go hand in hand. They do. Yeah. In order for someone to buy something, That's right. We made a point in our book, Cashing Out, to I think we dedicated an entire chapter to selling things because we've heard from so many people over the years around that just being something that they're deathly afraid of. And it's on all levels, right? It's not just the people who are looking to retire early and start a side hustle. And then you tell them, oh, well, you just need to like create something and sell it. And that freaks them out. It's even the people who aren't even looking to like make those kinds of jumps. They're just looking to make extra cash. I think for whatever reason, You're still selling something. The idea of selling anything, I think, really just like scares a lot of people. And so, we really wanted to make a point to talk about that and to break down that process and help people overcome those fears in our book. And to the point that I think you were getting ready to make, we were really clear in telling people that you're already selling something. You've been selling things your entire life. If you've ever had a job, you are selling, you've agreed and say, hey, like I like that price. That's the salary. Or I like that wage. You're selling your time. I would like to sell my time and my expertise in exchange for the promise of a paycheck, right? Like right. you are already selling. And so I think a big part of it was really just helping people reframe that idea and hopefully it would help them overcome that fear. But I also remember like the moment that I kind of overcame that because you, I feel like you kind of came into the earth, came into the world with this natural <laughs> comfort to want to sell things. But I did not have that kind of confidence in myself. But I also remember how I felt when I came over it. like, And I knew like this needed to be a skill that I needed to overcome. Again, not just so that I could be a better negotiator, but also so that I can make a lot of money. And what I always remind people is that when you overcome that fear, it unlocks a lot of things. And, and I think one of the biggest things it unlocks is the way that you look at the value of the time that you've been selling the whole time. Because it's one thing to say, hey, this is how much I make on the job. And this is how much I get every two weeks. But then you do that one little thing and you're like, wait a second. Right now, you've got something to compare that to. And I was like, all right, so I just went to work for a whole week and I made this much. 
I mustered up the courage to sell this thing or these things and I've gotten that money and I like the way that that feels, right? And I think that having that other reference point, that additional input that you can use to compare the value of your time or your skill sets or really just the value of what is available out there is really, really important. You hear people say things like, oh, I make good money all the time. And we always ask them like, well, I mean, compared to what? If you haven't compared it to anything, like what really are you like, how do you know that you're making good money other than being able to say, oh, well, I make more than I did before. Like you need other things, other ways, other inputs, I think to really help strengthen that point of view. Yeah. I think in our book, we kind of focused on becoming a creator and we still believe in the benefits of that. We did an episode on it and we believe that to some point, to some extent, creating is going to be a core skill for the future as well. But sometimes you need to practice with something that has lower stakes. Sometimes you don't want to put your face on camera or your ideas out in the world. And that's really where selling your stuff comes in. It's that practice of having something and putting it out there and realizing that there's demand for something that you have that you didn't even know about. You just put it out there and then all of a sudden somebody is interested in what you have. I think that's a feeling that more of us need to become accustomed to. Yeah. So you said the word stuff and two things come to mind because I'm an 80s baby, tried and true. First thing is, and I'm pausing here for the guys who might know exactly where I'm going, inside stuff. You know what inside stuff is? Used to be a TV show with Ahmad Rashad. (laughs) It was like the only show, basically, like as a kid. I don't remember being called Inside Stuff. It was called NBA Inside Stuff. And they had Ahmad Rashad. (laughs) And um, I forget the other woman's name, but Will, not Hollow. Anyway, she was really cool. Both of them were great. But there's also this bit, and a bit for all you stand-up comedians out there, but George Carlin has like this classic bit. This is also from the 80s. I'm going to play a clip because he's talking about, or if you know George Carlin, ranting about us Americans and our stuff. That's all your house is. Your house is just a place for your stuff. If you didn't have so much goddamn stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. That's all your house is. It's a pile of stuff with a cover on it. You see that when you take off in an airplane and you look down and you see everybody's got a little pile of stuff. Everybody's got their own pile of stuff. And when you leave your stuff, you've got to lock it up. Wouldn't want somebody to come by and take some of your stuff. They always take the good stuff. They don't bother with that crap you're saving. Ain't nobody interested in your fourth grade arithmetic papers. They're looking for the good stuff. That's all your house is. It's a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. (laughs) Now, sometimes, sometimes you've got to move. You've got to get a bigger house. Why? Too much stuff. (laughs) You've got to move all your stuff. And maybe put some of your stuff in storage. Now, don't get me started on storage. There's a reason why I played that particular clip, because he started to talk about and rail and rant on storage. So I want to talk a little bit about the, what do I call it, self-storage industry? Because we talked about this in our book as well, but I think it's one of the greatest indicators of exactly the point that he's making. And again, this was in the 80s, so I don't have any of the data around what the size of the self-storage industry was in the 1980s. The earliest data point that we have, and I'm pretty sure this was in our book, was in the early 2010s. And so the storage industry back then was around $241 million annually, right? Let's just go ahead and round it up and call it a quarter of a billion dollars. Seven years later, by 2018, that number was $5 billion, right? So this idea that to George Carlin's point, we did not have enough room or 
even if we did have enough room, it didn't matter. We wanted to get more stuff and we kept buying stuff and we needed a place to store our stuff and we couldn't fit all our stuff in our house. So we decided to pay someone else just to have a closet outside of our home. Like that's what this entire <laughs> industry is, right? Like I think it's the greatest indicator of American consumerism is yeah. probably the size of the self-storage industry. So that was in 2018. I looked it up recently to see what the 2022 numbers, and it's basically like just knocking on 30 billion dollars, right? Wow. So it's still five not to enough. 30 billion dollars. A quarter a quarter of a billion in 2011 yeah. to 2018 at around $5 billion. And now in 2022, it's basically a $30 billion industry. It is about as big as gaming software, medical devices, pet food, and brand licensing. That wow. last one I thought was surprising. Brand licensing. I would have thought that that was like a lot bigger, but that's still a lot of money. It's a $30 billion industry, yeah. right? But yeah, I, I think the idea here is, right? So if this is true, it's safe to say that everyone has some stuff that they could sell. Yeah. <laughs> Like these numbers are true. We I all love, have some stuff. That I love we can how sell. long the path was well, I'm to saying, make you realize y'all we, got some stuff. We bought, you, like, to you, sell. you could not convince me that like if that industry like were on that trajectory, that somebody didn't have something they could sell. Now it may, it may not be something for five hundred dollars. Right. But you might have five hundred things that you could sell for yeah. like a couple of, like there's a lot of stuff, man. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. All right. So let's get into how to do it. I think we've made our point. <laughs> We made our point. So a uh, little bit of history lessons, zoom out. A lot of listeners are probably familiar with e-commerce, which is basically a way of buying and selling products or services online. It's the way that I'm most familiar with shopping, where you use the internet to browse, you select, you pay for your items, and then they're kind of seamlessly delivered to your doorstop. So you're basically shopping at this virtual store from the comfort of your computer or your smartphone. Now, e-commerce changed the game for retailers. It made it convenient for them to reach customers around the world without having to open multiple locations. And it's wild because it's only been around since the 90s, but it's continued to grow ever since then. Shopify actually predicts that by 2024, 21.4% of retail sales are going to happen online. So that's basically e-commerce, right? It's so weird because like... Even just saying the words e-commerce, because it's so natural. I know to the way that I live my life. It's, I don't I'm think actually, of it as e-commerce. I just think just, of it as commerce. I know, I know, <laughs> but it's short for but, no, but it goes electronic show, commerce. Yeah, I clearly <laughs> live in a bubble, and I actually would have thought it was more than twenty-one. Yeah, I would have thought it was bigger than that. Yeah. But again, that, that's it's maybe maybe for my generation, for people like me, yes. of this mindset. Like this is that's the default. Yeah. I know a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I know some people who do not shop online because they don't trust it, right? They don't. Yeah, that's how I felt going into a store (laughs) looking for something for our son's baseball practice. Like, what is. What is this place? <laughs> yeah, 80% of commerce still happens in store. But for the 20% of us who discovered e-commerce in the 90s, like that's probably your preferred way of shopping. Oh, yeah. Now, let me blow your mind with re-commerce, yeah, which yeah. is a new term for Julian, but it's not one that I made up this time. It's actually short for reverse commerce. And it's the concept where used or pre-owned pr- products are bought and sold online, typically through platforms. And re-commerce is truly a win-win. Buyers get to purchase things at a lower cost compared to buying them brand new. And it's just a more sustainable way to extend the lifespan of a product and reduce waste. Now, there are definitely some commercial re-commerce stores where you can physically go in and shop 
you know, used goods. You've got That's Goodwill, right. you've got yeah. Restore, you've got a lot of different stores. But most of this is just peer-to-peer selling, which is facilitated on these platforms or these online resellers. It's like someone took the yard sale and decided to put it online. Yeah, it's interesting because there, there are also specialty what do you, what do you got? Re-commerce stores. I know. Yeah, we'll I, get into that in a okay, minute. Okay, because I know that there's one just for like wedding dresses. Because I, mean, yeah. I know like how expensive that industry can be, mm-hmm. and I love that idea that they have that. So okay, here I am talking about re-commerce like I'm an expert, even though I just heard the word. <laughs> the idea I'm familiar with because I know that we did an entire episode of this. Yes, I was having a on feeling used versus of, new. Yeah, I was having some deja vu as you were talking. I was like, I feel like we we we've scratched the surface on this idea before because we were wondering out loud. Why aren't more people like embracing and buying you stuff? Yes. And now that we are looking at it from an industry perspective, and I'm going to talk about just how large this e-commerce industry is, we've got some sense of how big it is relative and how, how fast it's growing. So let's just start there. So the e-commerce market is huge and it's actually projected to reach $276 billion in sales by 2028. And it's expected to grow 4.4, let's just call it four and a half times faster than the overall retail market, according to a report from the mobile selling platform Offer Up. So a couple of fun facts about re-commerce. So first is that 85% of shoppers bought or sold secondhand items in the past year. Most of them believe that the stigma around shopping secondhand has decreased and 41% of them actually say it's a status symbol. Now, I def- That was really interesting. I definitely have noticed that in a couple of pockets. I don't know exactly where I, I came across that, but I know it seemed as if there was a, it was the people were flaunting the fact. Was it, oh no, like no, yeah. this, I didn't buy no Well, it kind of started with interior design. Like once there were all those supply chain challenges with That's right. new goods. That's right. A lot of designers started sourcing materials from different, you know, markets and whatnot. That's and so right. when you would watch like AD house tours. I was just about or... to say, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. channeling Chip and JoJo yeah. and the reclaimed wood. Exactly. And so there was already like this built in like, understanding or appreciation for used and antique over new. Yes. And then underneath that, there was also just, and I think you mentioned this, like this feeling or sense of supporting sustainable efforts and not creating new things and fast fashion. And so it seems to be like it is to some extent representative of this overall shift in value. A couple of other uh, talking points uh, here that I want to make sure that we mention. The report also found that 69% of shoppers have used money earned from reselling items to pay for bills or everyday living expenses. And 39% say that reselling has actually helped them make their ends meet. I also like that as someone who prides themselves on financial responsibility and financial education, because I think that's also like, you know, a bit of it. It's not like people are just buying things, selling things, and then using the proceeds to buy more things or more stuff to channel my inner George Carlin. It's like they're actually doing the right thing. And that's something that we've, challenged a lot of people and I would challenge a lot of our listeners to do like we're all surrounded by some stuff like you you've got a couple hundred maybe a couple thousand dollars worth of money just lying around that you're just kind of holding on to because you know maybe yeah you'd rather see it or maybe you feel like it's embarrassing to sell it was like it's actually not there are a no. lot of people out here doing it and like some people have taken it to the next level and now it's like a side hustle and that's how they pay for whatever it is that they want to do in their life well i think that's what the the report shows and obviously offer up is an online platformer so it's a little retail it's a little biased but it just goes to show how large the industry is and it's not nearly as taboo as it might have been in the past to yeah. sell 
sell your things online. So, or to buy things online. So, all right, that's the what. We actually pulled together a couple of tips for you in terms of how to create your first listing. So I want to walk through those right now. The first thing you need to know about the reseller market is that there is somebody looking for every type of thing that you can imagine. For sure. My grandmother used to say, every pot got a lid. She was talking about people, but this is also true for your stuff. Like, <laughs> she... <laughs> You should see Julian's face. Every pot got a lid. There's somebody out there for everybody. I don't know, but I was, I was trying to make it make sense. Like, what's the lid? What is the lid person? The lid is another person. Oh. Get it? Every no. pot. You're I the pot. It was like a I'm personality the lid. trait. Oh my gosh. All right. It's like, what's my lid? <laughs> the point is. You're my lid. Or am I the pot? The point is, someone is out there looking for everything that you can imagine. And the hard part is figuring out which platform to put what item on. So every platform has a different level of effort required to get your listing noticed. There's also different costs and commissions. And even the way that you're paid can vary by platform. So I think most of us are familiar with eBay, which is like the granddaddy pioneer of peer-to-peer selling. eBay launched back in 1995, if you can remember. Yeah. (laughs) And now all these years later, it's still selling upwards of $75 billion worth of stuff every year. So on eBay, you can sell your stuff auction style where the highest bidder gets the item, or you can just set a fixed price. And because it's been around so long, it actually has a good mix of individual and professional seller accounts. Now, since they've launched, there's also been some incumbents. There's Amazon, who's done a great job in the last five years convincing people to use and leverage their warehouse and logistics systems and sell their items online, which is different from eBay, where you're typically you know, shipping from your garage with Amazon, you can put stuff in a box, send it to their warehouse. And if you get an order, they will, they will take care of it for you. Now you're paying for that, but they'll do it. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I don't think people realize that they're buying it from like, that might've come from like somebody's garage or something like that. Right. Like whatever it is that you bought, you know, I remember like in the early days of the pandemic, that's really where a lot of that was brought to life because people were buying sanitizer and masks. Yes. Only to realize that they were getting it from like people who were buying it wholesale and then marking it up and then selling it. And there was obviously all of those issues. But yeah, like I think that was one of the the latest times where people really started to realize how the Amazon business model Works it's a fascinating and why business they can model. get things so quickly to you. Like it's not coming from Amazon directly all the no. time. It's all just intermingled in between there. And it's not always sourced from the vendor, right? No. Like if you see a bunch of socks on clearance at your local uh, big lots, you can buy a box of those socks, ship them to Amazon, yep. post them for $6. And every time you get an order, Amazon will just send it. Now they're going to take a significant portion <laughs> because they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting, right. but it's better than you, you know, packaging up stuff and shipping it from your garage. In addition to Amazon, there's also Facebook Marketplace, which is offering a more hyper-localized version of this. So you can uh, filter down to your zip code. There's a profile attached. There's social connections attached. So that's a little different. Cars. Yes. Anything. Anything. There's also OfferUp, which we talked about earlier. And then there's still Craigslist. Like, you know, they they are still... (laughs) 
(laughs) bare bones, no pictures, no filter. Like you just gotta, you know, you know what you get on Craigslist. Still doing a couple billion dollars worth of revenue every year, though. I know, and they've done a good job of cleaning up their image. I think they got hit really bad. I want to say it was probably all the decades. I was going to say the '90s and the 2000s. Some bad things have happened, yeah. But um, the the core purpose of what they serve is still legit. It is the internet's. Was not the original promise? Is the internet's classified? Yeah. Yes. That's yes, it was like Yellow Pages. Yes, that's who. That's actually what I think killed the Yellow Pages business. Yes, was Craigslist. It was Craigslist. Yeah. All right. So those are your general stores. That's where you can find a little bit of everything. Then there are the more specialized sites. So for fashion, there are places like Poshmark, ThreadUp, and depending on whether your clothes are designer or vintage, there are even more specialized sites that focus on authenticating and connecting you with buyers who are willing to spend more for a vintage piece. Now, again, you want to list wherever you think your buyer is going to be. So if you're selling a couch that you got from maybe Macy's or Rooms to Go or a big box furniture store, your best bet might be Facebook Marketplace because then you can filter down and someone can come pick it up instead of you arranging to ship a couch across the country. But if your couch is vintage or rare or from some prominent designer, you might want to seek a more specialized site like Cherish or OfferUp. So Cherish is a site that sells vintage furniture. If it's something handmade, you maybe you purchased it from a local fair or from a farmer's market. You might want to resell it on Etsy because shoppers who search on Etsy are looking for something more crafted and yeah. handmade. The point is you want to pick the site where you think your buyer will be. And again, remember that every site has its own payment and fee structure. So keep that in mind as you're selecting. But typically you can put your things on multiple sites or bounce it around if you're not getting any traction. So just keep in mind that every site, you know, the audience is not the same for every single platform. Yeah. When you said Etsy, uh, the light bulb went off in my head because I remembered I've actually bought something from Etsy before. It was season one of Money on the Table where we were shooting and we had that idea to create some customized dice to see who would roll, who who would do the dishes. And I was like, where can I find some customized dice? And like, how much am I willing to spend? Because I don't want to break the bank. And they were like, oh, you can get it on Etsy. I was like, what? I never heard of it. Went on there and showing that there were actually several people who could do it. You can find anything on Etsy. I was, my mind was blown. I learned something new that People be selling food on there. You can get concert teas, like bachelorette stuff, cheerleading stuff. And it was stuff. good quality. We still have them to this day. Yeah. Like it, it was really, really great. So I say that because one, like I have actually used it. And two, I like the idea, especially for people who are really good at like making crafts and they yeah. may have that thing that's a hobby and they think, well, yeah, I don't really do it for fun or I just do it for fun. I don't really, dude, you may just do it for fun. There's somebody who will give you a hundred dollars for it right now. I know. And that's like, there's no better way, I think, of making money than like, making money doing something that you would probably do for free and have been doing for free. Right. Like that's why, or in part why these sites exist. I think they really help people to kind of turn their passion into profit. You can use that tagline if you want. That's, <laughs> I'm sure someone has. It's pretty cliche. Anyway, after you've picked your platform, there's still some work to do. You've got to create your listing. So this is where I want you to kind of put on your content creator hats. We are content creators and this is sort of being in that bag, you've got to tap into those skills. So a couple of things you really want to make sure that you're doing. And the first thing is around making sure that your headlines are descriptive. So what do I mean by that? Well, in addition to the photo, like the headline is basically how you're describing 
whatever it is that you have to sell, whether it's used or something that you created, doesn't matter. You want to be really, really clear, really specific. So the colors, the fabric, if it's something that you own that you're trying to resell, then be clear about what that brand and that model is, especially if it's like something that's discontinued. It's not just a Sony camera. It's a Sony camera, whatever the heck is like discontinued and no one can find it anywhere else except for from you. All of those unique design elements, they are the things that you want to list because those are the things that people are looking for. So you're not just looking for blue shirt, right? If it's an old school denim Tommy Hill figure or Bugle Boy shirt, (laughs) remember Bugle Boy? Yeah. I brought that up for a reason because especially like here in Atlanta in the film industry and imagine, you know, the Stranger Things, right? They're filming another episode and they can't find a Bugle Boy shirt. There's thousands of them out there, but there's really only a couple of people who are actually selling them. You know what I mean? And so this is where all the old stuff, all the old memories. I mean, you may not want to let it go. I totally get that. But there are some things that you're definitely willing to let go. And why not sell it to a production team to make a little bit more money? Exactly. But they can't find you if you don't have an actual page or if you don't really know how to do those things. So be specific, especially if we're talking about something that is unique or antique or just like really, really cool. Uh, The second thing is really the rest of the text. So the headline is one thing, but all of the other things, you really want to make sure that you're describing the item accurately. There's the old saying of under promise and over delivering. That's exactly what you want to do here. You want to be honest, right? Like if it's a little old, say it's a little old. If it's yeah, a little point tattered, out the flaws. Say it's a little tattered. That's okay. For all we know, that might actually be desirable. And I'm not saying just for a production company, someone might actually be looking for something that really, really has been worn for whatever reason doesn't really matter. But if that's what they're looking for, you want to make sure that you offer that up and that they can find what you're looking for. What you don't want to do is call something, you know, in excellent or pristine condition. Yeah, like it's new. And like it's like, new. nah, this ain't not like new. No, this, <laughs> no, it is it's a not. little more than gently used. Be accurate. Be honest, because one of the worst things that could happen is you get a negative review. You get a, uh, a bad rating or something like that. And that really just deters people from trusting you as a seller. And it might just be that one thing, but sometimes that one thing is enough to give reason or to give people a reason not to want to shop with you. The other thing you really want to make sure that you're paying attention to is the photos. And again, think about yourself as a shopper here. If you were buying something online and all you really had were a handful of photos to determine whether or not you wanted to buy it or not. If the photos weren't good, you probably wouldn't even bother clicking on it. And the same rules are going to apply to you. So make sure you're taking some photos, making sure you're taking photos from multiple angles, making sure you're being patient and adjusting the lighting so that you can get as many angles as possible, really the best angles that are possible. Add some pizzazz if you can. It might be a little additional light. Watch a couple of videos to figure out how to get the best photos. But these are all things that honestly don't even really require you to hire a photographer if you've got a smartphone, with even just a halfway decent camera, you can take some good enough photos of whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And there are tons of platforms, I think, that will even allow you to touch those up and really style whatever it is that you've taken and make it look like it would look if it were coming from a professional retailer. Canva is one of our favorite tools. Kirsten will tell you, I spend a lot of time with Canva. A lot of the work that we do comes or is at least edited to some extent from that tool. And so C-A-N-V-A, really, really great tool that a lot of people can use to edit graphic design, photography, video to some extent, all the things that you might actually need to better improve the likelihood that people buy 
stuff. Yeah. Taking pictures was actually my least favorite part of selling. And I think the thing that made it easier and made it made me more likely to do it was actually batching it. So I would create this small pile of things that I was ready to get rid of. And then once I had five to 10 of them, I would just set aside an hour to take pictures of everything at once. And for me, it was far easier than winging it one at a time and trying to do multiple listings. I could list everything, create the same end date and manage it as a batch. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back with some more tips. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. All right, so you've picked your platform. You have written a humble yet accurate product description that includes some keywords. You've taken pictures. The next thing to do is to price your item. And it's a bit of an art and a science, depending on whether your goal is to get rid of the item quickly or to capture as much value from the item as possible. There are tons of advanced seller tools that each platform offers that can give you a sense of how in demand your item might be and suggest pricing guidance. But if you're not looking to do all that, some pointers are just to look at comparable items and price within that range. So you can do a search for other Bugle Boy shirts and see what they're going for. If yours is a unique size, maybe you add a little premium. But for the most part, you can just do a quick glance if you don't want to get into the advanced seller tools. Now, assuming it's not a local pickup, another thing that you can do is bundle similar sized items because buyers have to pay for shipping and to help them overcome pricing hurdles. If there are multiple things in the package, they're more willing to to take a chance on it. So bundling is a great thing to do if you have a group of friends. Say you all outgrew your jeans and you can now offer this haul of designer denim sizes, you know, 12 to 14, and then you can split the revenue amongst yourself. So it's another way to just kind of take the burden off of trying to sell one pair of jeans. The other thing about pricing that I'll say is that you need to price it knowing that some people will absolutely want to negotiate. So give yourself some wiggle room and also acknowledge that the perceived value of whatever you're selling can be shaped or expanded by how it's marketed and the story that you tell behind it. So the difference between saying something is the perfect brown loafer and saying something is my lucky brown loafers might be $10. So you can feel a little creative with your storytelling and your descriptions. It just depends on you know whether somebody's willing to pay more for a story. Maybe they're looking for some luck yeah. versus like, Perfection. I also think it adds to personalize the selling experience because while this might be awkward for you, it might also be awkward for them, right? So when you add in those little personal touches, I think it has a tendency to also make you seem a little more human and make yeah. it more relatable for someone who might actually be buying used or from this type of platform for the very first time. An additional tip I would add here is to make yourself available for feedback. So while you are marketing and pricing your products, you also have the opportunity to manage your role as a seller. And one of the things you want to do is to turn on your notifications and alerts and actually pay attention to those things so that you can be responsive to the people who might have some of the questions about the things that you're doing. 
So one of the other things you want to do is pay attention to the kinds of feedback that you're getting from your buyers and prospective buyers. One of the best ways to do that is to turn on your notifications and alerts. This allows you to see when questions or feedback are coming in, to pay attention to the quantity. Maybe there are some patterns and all of those things can actually be an indicator that you want to revise your offer, your pricing or your description as a whole. If people keep asking the same question over and over again, it's because they're probably not getting the information that they need in the descriptive text of the headline that you've already written. Now, keep in mind that one of the biggest pitfalls for a lot of buyers and the thing that actually stops people from buying things is the fact that they can't return the item if it doesn't work or if they don't like it. So if in the description you're like vague about your return policy or in some cases a little too honest, you might actually be deterring people from actually buying whatever it is that you're trying to sell. So you want to make sure that you're finding a nice, healthy balance between being personable, being honest, being accurate and descriptive, but to make sure that at the end of the day, You've written something and you've designed something and you're promoting something that actually entices people to buy. If not, then you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're going to have to revise some copy, maybe replace photos. But either way, once you figure out what that balance between the art and the science of marketing your products are, you'll find yourself in a rhythm and it'll be a lot easier to do going forward. Yes. Yeah. I think the good news is that you can relist it, repost it add new pictures. You can do all of that stuff Take it down as often you as you like want. Exactly. Yeah, you can do all those If things. you think a better time to sell it is September versus right. you know July, you can take it down and, and repost it. So that's the good news, right? Now, before we end the episode, I want to talk about some watch outs. And first and foremost, do not forget about taxes. Whenever we're talking about selling stuff, we have to remember Taxes. Now, according to the IRS, you're supposed to report items that sell for more than what you originally paid for them. So if you're flipping Jordans or some other limited edition drop and it goes for three times the retail amount, you got to pay taxes on that income. If you're selling it for less than what you paid for, you owe nothing, allegedly, unless (laughs) unless the total volume that you make from a platform is over $600 a year. Now, that's a new thing in 2023 that didn't exist before this year. But if you're making over $600, the platform that you made it through is going to send you a 1099K form for reporting purposes. So better safe than sorry. If you are making real money from from this hustle, if you have multiple things to sell, if you're selling just one high ticket item like a camera, just be prepared to pay taxes. Yeah. And speaking of better safe than sorry, like that's my tip as well. Like stay safe. There are a lot of scammers and shady people out there for whatever reason. And so don't take the transaction off the platform. And you definitely want to be wary of anyone who tries to sweeten the deal or promise to give you a little bit more. If we just kind of conduct it offline, like, let's just do this around or under the table. You really want to make sure that you're not kind of putting yourself at risk or in harm's way just for the opportunity to make a little bit more money or save a couple more coins because like, that could end up in a really, really bad situation. And you don't want to really let that kind of thing sort of detract you from being able to do something that is legal and likely very, very lucrative. If you do need to meet someone, then you want to meet in a safe space and lay out all of the terms in advance. So if it has to be in your home or at your home, then have a friend or someone else there or at least someone on standby. As an alternative, there are a lot of police stations that participate in a program called Safe Trade. And what this is, is they basically offer their station as a meetup location. I can't think of a much better way to conduct 
you know, these right. kinds of transactions than that. <laughs> so if you go meet to me at the police, meet me at the local police station. <laughs> and if you go to safetradespots.com, you can find one near you. Don't go if you got a warrant. Now. Yeah, you don't, don't. You're basically turning yourself in. That's a great way to lose time and money. <laughs> Um, a couple other places are like a local Starbucks, like right. really big parking lots, like malls, well lit. Obviously, you want to think about doing this during daytime hours, those kinds of things. Yeah. Another tip, if you have to meet at your home, which I don't recommend. I used to be the person to have people come to my home, but I don't recommend it. Another tip, if you if that's necessary, is to ask for a picture of their ID or some other form of identification before they arrive. And you can send yours as a you know olive branch to say, I'm not being weird. I'm not trying to steal your information. I just want to make sure that you know I know... Who to expect? Yeah, and if they say they don't want to do that, uh, say okay. No then let's problem. meet somewhere. Yeah, let's meet somewhere. Or if like they keep pushing back, there's probably a reason for that, and you should take that as a red flag. Yeah, yeah. All right. The last thing is around payment. Just say no to personal checks, which can bounce, or money orders, or cashier checks. All of those can be photoshopped or counterfeited. Cash is king, but if cash is not an option, use a service like PayPal, Venmo, Zelle yep. to ensure that the money is in your hand before you hand over the merchandise. I've seen a lot of people operate on good faith and and do like a, a driveway pickup where they leave the item outside and expect the other person to leave oh, money. No. And it just, you know, it sometimes it works out. Sometimes you you come across an honest person, but a lot of times, you know, you get you get got. Yeah, just don't do that. <laughs> All right. So, how to sell yourself online? Any final thoughts? First, drop the music. All right. Final thoughts. So, I just want to apologize if that last part freaked you out around safety. Do not let that deter you <laughs> from selling online or selling in general. Yard sales, estate sales, consignment stores, all of those are still valid and thriving. So, if that's available to you, then great. Go for that. But you know, there are obvious limitations to those types of marketplaces regarding the size of the market and just the amount of shelf space that they might have for the number of items that you have to sell. Yeah. So, ultimately, I think selling your stuff is one of the easiest ways that people can monetize their time online. It's low stakes. And depending on the item, it's fairly quick. So if you're looking for some quick money, I recommend selling some stuff. Yeah, I agree. My final thoughts are, I think people are also underestimating how fun this might actually be. Like for a lot of people, they get started and they really actually enjoy it. It becomes like a hobby, a very fulfilling thing. We know a lot of people who kind of got sucked into this world and it becomes not just a great way to like pay off debt or find more money to invest. It's just something that they do. Like they just really, really enjoy doing it. And so give yourself an opportunity to actually be one of those kinds of people because I think there's a good chance you might actually enjoy making money this way. Now, it will require you to take your consumer hat off and put your retail slash online shop owner hat on. But I think if you look around your house and you see it not just as stuff, but as inventory that's kind of sitting on a shelf and maybe needs to be dusted off a little bit, then I think you might better understand that, wow, like there's actually a lot of opportunity to make some supplemental income here. So those are my final thoughts. I love that inventory. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you like what you heard, don't sell yourself short. Leave us a five-star review. (laughs) Maybe it's don't sell us short. Either way, leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and we will see y'all next week.